0: Welcome in to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. We're the podcast for Vol Basketball fans everywhere. We bring you discussions, debates, and the latest news of the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. I'm Nathaniel Rutherford. I'm joined by Gene Henley once again for a new episode here at the beginning of May. We're officially into a new month. The offseason rolls on, Gene. SEC continues to add more and more transfers, a few people transferring out. But, again, the SEC is, is really rolling in those transfers and, and diving deep in the transfer portal. Tennessee hasn't had anybody new since we last talked. Uh, they've, they have added quite a few new players and faces this offseason. But they have offered somebody new in the 2022 class. We'll talk about that here in just a second. First of all, a couple of news notes here off the top we are now available on a couple new platforms on podcasts we're available on podcast addict and stitcher so we're available on two new podcast platforms you can find us basically just about anywhere you can get podcasts now at this point i've said that before in the past but now it's even more true uh, you have apple Podcasts, spotify google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, stitcher and podcast addict along with the podbean app because podbean is where we are hosted through so we find us all throughout those places so if you're new here if you're you know someone who just found us on one of the new places welcome in hopefully you'll enjoy your stay Uh, subscribe or follow us and you can catch up on some old episodes and stay tuned for new ones every week uh, except maybe not next week i will be on vacation don't know if i'm going to have one recorded and put in the bank uh, to put out next week or not we'll see so there may not be a new one next week but typically there'll at least be one new episode per week uh, even during the off season we're also on Twitter and Facebook at Vol Hoops Fever on Twitter and Vol Basketball Fever on Facebook. Well, Gene, let's get right into it here. Tennessee has added anybody new to the roster, but they did send out a, a scholarship offer to a 2022 prospect that really kind of caught the attention of pretty much everyone. That player was Imani Bates, the number one overall prospect in the entire 2022 class, according to 247 7 Sports. 6'8, 200 pounds as a small forward plays at a prep school. I think it's just Psy Prep Academy, but spelled Y-P-S-I. So I, I'm not sure if it's the why is pronounced or not. But he's the number one overall player in the country. Was committed to Michigan State. And then he announced his decommitment from the Spartans on April 30th. Texas, I think, offered the day of or day after um, that he decommitted from Michigan State. He committed to them in late June of last year. So he had been committed to them. Close to a full year before decommitting, I think 10 months almost exactly before decommitting. But the reason why we're bringing him up now is Tennessee on May 2nd extended an offer to him officially. And now Tennessee is kind of, you know, quote unquote, in the running for the number one player in the 2022 class. But Gene, uh, the consensus seems to think that he didn't just decommit from Michigan State to go pursue another college uh, team or anything like that uh it seems to be he's gonna go pro. He's gonna go, you know, overseas or go to the G League or, you know, do something like that out of high school, um, and then, you know, go to the NBA after a year or two, um, everywhere else. So I I, I think it's it's still worth talking about because I think I, I've seen some fans with the rationale of no, why is, why did why did Rick Barnes and his staff wait to offer the number one player in the twenty two class now? Like why did they wait until you know after he'd already decommitted from Michigan State? Why why wasn't he offered, you know, back before he committed to Michigan State in June why was he not offered you know back in 2019 or sometime in 2020 um, I'd be, I'd be kind of curious to hear your thoughts on that but I, I think you know it was he committed fairly early in his recruiting cycle like, again he committed in, in the summer of 2020 at that point he would have been going into his sophomore year of high school and it's not definitely definitely not unheard of for college basketball head coaches to offer you know freshman and sophomore or whatnot, but you can't, I don't think you can officially offer kids that age. Like, you, you can kind of verbally offer them or whatever, or, you know, say, you know, hey, we're interested in this kid, but you can't really give them an official offer until they hit a certain age. So maybe that's kind of the case with Tennessee. They didn't want to send out, you know, didn't want to kind of say we're going to offer them here where they, they couldn't and all this different stuff. Then he decommits from Michigan State and they offer them. I also think it's a case of Tennessee has a lot of football fans who you know, obviously care about basketball but aren't necessarily as as basketball-inclined as maybe some other fan bases. And it's it's fairly common practice for football coaches to offer kids who are committed to other schools, y- even though they're committed. You know, We've you, seen the Tennessee do it before. We've seen all, all the SEC schools do it, ACC, Big Ten, Big 12, they all do it. They offer kids who are currently committed to other programs. It's not nearly as common as... In college basketball, for for coaches to offer you know, prospects who are already committed to other schools. Usually, if you see somebody get offers, it's after they've decommitted, um, you know, or you know, recruitment, recruitment, whatever you want, how you want to word it. You don't see a whole lot of offers to kids when they're currently committed to a, a program. So that's kind of me, kind of laying the groundwork. Again, I don't think it's going to matter in the long run. I think he's going to go pro. I don't think he's going to come to any college. Tennessee, and Memphis also offered at Texas. Back to Michigan State. I don't think it's going to matter, or Michigan for that matter either. Um, But Gene, he's been compared to uh, Kevin Durant by Jerry Meyer, by Evan Daniels, by a couple other people. There's only one coach in college basketball who's coached Kevin Durant. So, you know, I've I've seen plenty of Tennessee fans jokingly, mostly jokingly, saying, hey, if you want to be like Kevin Durant, come play for the guy who coached him in college. So I don't think he's going to come, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that and just kind of the rationale of, you know, why waiting to offer him now. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I think the, the obvious reason is that nobody, I mean, we, you've already kind of alluded to it, nobody actually thinks the kid's going to play in college. Um, now, that's all going to be contingent on will they uh, start allowing kids to go directly into the pros. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's the thing. I mean, obviously, the G League would be an option if he decides not to go that route. I'm sorry, if they don't um, make it possible for them, to, you know, for high school kids to go directly to the pros. But, uh, again, I like I'm sitting here reading a piece on him right now where he's, you know, when he committed to Michigan State and, you know, basically said that uh, Izzo and that staff has been showing him love since seventh grade. The kid's from Michigan. You're talking about a kid who... Um, you know, a, a kid who is being compared to, is being called the best high school prospect since LeBron James, and has a game uh, that is comparable to Kevin Durant. Um, that's quite the lofty uh, comparison. And I'm sitting here reading a sentence now that says an NBA front office representative told Michael Rosenberg of Sports Illustrated the common comparison is to, you know, Kevin Durant. is very realistic. So you're talking about a guy who has everything possible. So if he's he's out there and he makes himself available, then you have to quickly jump. You have to throw your name in that ring because what happens in the event that he does decide that he wants to go to college for a year, um, it's not all that often that college kids, that college basketball players decommit. You know, obviously, you know, football is very, very crazy. Um, and it's kind of why I roll my eyes at a lot of these things that we call offers um, at this at that level, at that, at that age. And, you know, what we call commitments at, the, uh, in, in football, because it doesn't mean anything. But, you know, like I, I know I know people, I know kids who have offers that they could never commit to. But. If you're Imani Bates, I guarantee you your offers are legit. That's it. Yeah. (laughs) Tennessee's no no exception there. Like, it's, you know, like that's a a place where um, if you look at some of these just elite, elite guys, they've gone to some weird places sometimes like Ben Simmons went to LSU uh, <laughs> Texas is not exactly what you call a juggernaut like that they were obviously good under Barnes but uh, you know not exactly just a, a juggernaut obviously you have guys like LeBron and you know Kobe who didn't even go um, you know Zion wasn't even the number one player in his class it was R.J. Barrett Yep. I'm pretty sure Cam Reddish may have been second or maybe Cam Reddish was third. But you know, like but even RJ Barrett wasn't being considered like just generational sort of talent. So um, what's to say Tennessee couldn't get there? I mean Tennessee's not exactly what you call a juggernaut. I mean, they're not a national powerhouse. Uh, they have a they've had a nice run of saying I mean, over the past few years of remaining relevant in recruiting. Um, it hasn't really amounted to much um, in the past, you know. Since since they came to this level, I guess that was what two years ago. Um, so, I mean, why not? I mean, that's, I think that's the that's the best question you can ask. I mean, why not? Um, you you look at a kid like that, you're like, okay, well, the kid's not going to go to college, but hey, what happens if he decides he you know he wants to? Because hasn't like everybody offered him since then that hadn't offered? I think I saw something where like, everybody's been offering ever since he, de- he decommitted. Yeah, um, pretty much. Yeah, and so what Tennessee is doing, or what Tennessee did is not unique, but it's smart because now, I mean, okay. now you can at least say you've thrown your name in the ring, thrown your hat in the ring, and... Let the chips fall where they may. I mean, I don't know if it would not be a case where this year would be, you know, indicative of uh, his chances. Like, if if for some reason, like, Huntley Hatfield or something like that did not work out, it would not have any bearing on Imani Bates choosing to commit to Tennessee. Because, you know, kids who expect to be gone in eight months don't necessarily, they can say what they want i just you know breaking news i mean kids aren't always 100 percent truthful and they talk about why they chose a school um and all these kids who expect to be gone in eight months they can they can preach all they want about you know development and uh, i i want to go because of this or that but the reality is they just found a place that has a nice little a backdrop where they can play in front of a lot of fans and Uh, Maybe compete for some stuff over that six, seven, eight months. You know, it's just that's just the reality. Like you're not, you know, you can't, you know, you can't say. I I can't imagine Kennedy Chandler or somebody like that saying, "I chose Tennessee because of development," with a straight face. And it's not, it's that's no knock on them. It's just you're not there long enough to be developed. And that's why, like, like, that's the, the like the one and done thing. Is like you're not getting guys. That you that can be developed, you know, quote unquote, in that time span. So these kids just go somewhere where they can go have fun. Hey, Tennessee's got a place that seats 20,000 people, and had one of the largest attendances the last time that, um, heck, the last time that they were that you know that you could have 100% capacity in game. I mean, in the stands. So why not? I mean, it, it's a it's a fun environment. It's a it's a fun place to play. Uh, Thompson Bowling, whenever they're winning, that place is live, man. That place is loud, so why not? Like, you've got just as good of a chance to see anybody else at this point, so just go ahead and give it a shot.
0: It, you're talking about him being a generational talent. I think that's I, I don't we, we've heard different guys that say, Oh, he's gonna be the next LeBron, he's gonna be the next KD, he's gonna be the next this and that. Watching his film, looking at his stats and stuff, uh, just from a little bit of watched, me, it, it I, I do think. The whole talk of him being a generational talent isn't—it's it, not hyperbole to me. I, I mean, it could be very slightly, but he's—he looks like the real deal to me. He's a—he was a Gatorade Player of the Year as a sophomore at Lincoln High School, where he averaged 33 points a game and nine, re, nine rebounds and almost three assists and two and a half steals. He goes over um, to the prep school this past year. There was knocked down a little bit because he's playing against some stiffer competition. Still averages almost 25 points a game. Uh, six and a half rebounds, two and a half assists, uh, and a steal and a half per game, which is still, I mean, extremely respectable numbers. He's got. He can handle the ball pretty well. From looking at his film, like he's he's a guy who's a six eight, six nine, um, like two hundred pound kid who is dribbling between his legs, is doing all this stuff, looking like a, an actual guard with the ball in his hands at some at some points. So, he has that same build as uh, as Kevin Durant did coming up high school. Like I said, six nine. He's probably a little bit thicker than Durant. Durant was like a Maybe, maybe 190 coming out of high school. I don't like, I actually know what he was, but he was extremely skinny coming out of high school. He, he couldn't lift a bar. Yeah, that's right. And, and this kid is a little bit thicker, but he's still six nine, only about 200, two hundred two. This says two ten here on the prep school. I don't think he's two ten. He's probably closer to two hundred. But you know, on a six nine frame, it's not a whole lot. Um, so he's still, you know, he, he looks like a it looks like Kevin Durant just from a, a build perspective too. Looking at his film and, and watching him play and everything, but yeah. I like you said it it it, it's literally not a like it it doesn't have a negative effect on Tennessee to offer him at this point. Like you said, you're you're banking on if you know if he if he goes pro, fine. You're not I don't imagine you know you're you're not wasting like a bunch of time on him. Tennessee already has a I think a fairly decent foundation set for who they're targeting in the 2022 class. Let me pull up some of their offers here because I know obviously you get a couple of in-state kids like B.J. Edwards and stuff who. Tennessee is targeting. They've got you know they they've got a pretty selective list of of offers and they they've been able to do that over the last few years because they can be more selective with their offer list right now. Uh, but you look at B.J. Edwards at, at Knox Catholic. They they offered Quante uh, Quante I think Barry uh, who was an State kid now plays at Winston Salem Prep. Another point guard just like B.J. Edwards is listed as a point guard. You've got Imani Bates. You've also been targeting a guy like a, a Brandon Miller. I don't know you know he's out of Antioch. I'm Not sure. You know what, their standings would be with him, but he's another, you know, in state kid. Jet Howard, who I assume is going to go follow his dad over to Michigan, but Tennessee seems to be the number two, even though if it's a wide margin, they seem to be the number two team there behind Michigan. I just think it's obviously a very wide gap there. You have Deontay Green uh, that they've, they've been looking at, who's a, a, a four star power forward. And then a, a few of the guys like Andre Tamba who will probably reclassify uh, and Felix um, Akpara is another guy to mention as well. So they, they, they have a, a, you know, other guys I haven't mentioned on here too who they've offered. Um, I think Colin Smith is another one that I could, I could throw out there too is a, a power forward guy who they're looking at. But they, they've they offered several kids and, you know, laid a pretty good found, foundation there of offers just even just from in-state kids. Like I say with B.J. Edwards, uh, Barry, uh, Miller and then also there's another well I mean Tampa again, but there, there's another I thought another N-State kid I was trying to find on here, but I guess not. Um well I guess Braden Moore is another Instate player over at C P A in Nashville too. Uh and then Felix like plays over in Hamil- down in Hamilton Heights, which it's yes, that's an in state school, but Hamilton Heights brings in all kinds of players. We talked about it on the podcast plenty of times, Gene, that they bring in plenty of players from plenty of other places that not not exactly uh you grew up in Chattanooga, you were playing at Hamilton Heights, um, but yeah, I don't. I don't think it's going to be a waste of Tennessee's time. I don't think it's going to be a waste of anybody's time for them to offer Imani and you know build that relationship and, and try to pursue it. And, and if they, like you said, if that chance that he does decide he wants to go to college for a year, I think Tennessee's got a, a pretty good selling point. I, I don't, you know, I, no, I no idea that this is months on the road before he makes a decision or whatever uh, for his future of, of college or professional basketball. And I have no idea where Tennessee is going to stand with him at that point. But I think just on paper, they have a compelling reason to, you know, offer him, hey, like you said, look at these, the this, the reading we have here in Knoxville, recent success. Obviously, Rick Barnes coached Kevin Durant. You've been, you've been likened to the Kevin Durant since you were, you know, about 13 or so or 12, maybe, you know, come play for the guy who coached Kevin Durant in college. And, you know, he knows what to look for in that type of player. So you have all these things. you know, It doesn't mean Tennessee is going to be the front-runner for him if he does decide to go to college because, I mean, you can't think about it. I mean, Duke's going to be in there. I mean, you mentioned LSU earlier. I mean, I imagine Will Wade's going to have an, an offer to give to him. Uh, you got UNC. You'll have Kansas. you have, I mean, Texas, like I said, isn't a huge powerhouse compared to those other programs. You have them. Ohio State. I mean, I imagine Louisville will be in there. I mean, you'll have all, the, all of the programs across the country will want him. It's just a matter of is he actually going to go to college or not? And I don't know. We'll see. Um, I, I I don't think he will, but I, I definitely don't think it's a bad thing for Tennessee to offer him at all. And, and again, he's a type of talent that can be just a, a massive, massive boost to a program no matter who it is. It, like I said, you could be a Duke, you could be a, a Western Kentucky. It doesn't matter. You, if you get a, a guy like Yamani Bates, you're going to be put on the map. And look what Oklahoma State had this past year with Cade Cunningham, who isn't a generational talent, but he was the number one overall prospect in the 21 class yeah I did that no 20 class whatever it was yeah I think 20 Uh, he was number one over player there and he he, you know gave Oklahoma State some headlines especially once they got into the NCAA tournament he he was a guy who got a lot of attention Oklahoma State hasn't had a ton of attention over the past few years Obviously, they've had good players like Marcus Smart and and things like that and, and guys like that over the you know decades but it just shows you, even a guy like you know, Kate Cunningham, who was number one prospect, isn't considered generational talent. Gave Oklahoma State a, a big platform. LSU's obviously had guys like Shaq and Pistol Pete, and their their storied career. But then, like you said, Ben Simmons going there gave them a big spotlight, especially when they didn't do well with Ben Simmons and Johnny Jones over there. So it'd be interesting to see what happens again. I don't think Imani Bates is going to go to college, but move on here to talk about some more Tennessee basketball stuff had mentioned this on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, I think last week, when did this article get dropped? Let's see. Jeff Borzello of ESPN put out his updated way too early, and it is still way too early, way too early top 25 for the upcoming college basketball season on April 29th. Uh, so that came out on Thursday of last week. So that's like, like, late last week. And in the update, Tennessee moved up from not even being in the top 25 in his first one that he dropped You know, shortly after the the season was officially over in the NCAA tournament, had concluded, to being number 16. So they're in that kind of 20 to 15 range. His, his reasoning here, his description Tennessee was, quote, another big riser from the way to early top 25 version 1.0. The volunteers were close the first time around and then landed Auburn transfer Justin Powell, uh, former Marquette commit ESPN 100 big man Jonas Adu, and five-star forward Brandon Huntley Hatfield. Also, senior John Fulkerson opted to return to Knoxville for another season. Perhaps the biggest reason for optimism, however, comes in the form of elite point guard recruit Kennedy Chandler, the top player at his position in the 2021 class. Chandler will get the keys to the show from day one. Rick Barnes will get to surround him with the shooters like Powell, Santiago Escovy, and Victor Bailey Jr. Fulkerson will be the anchor down low, but there will be improved depth with the dude, helping Hatfield expected to make early impacts. Huntley Hatfield, in particular, will be counted on early. He reclassified from 2022 class and can create matchup issues. Tennessee was a relative disappointment this past season, especially after its 10-1 start, but I like the way the roster is shaping up. And this is also, also interesting to me, Gene, because I, I think I, I kind of tilted my head a little bit when I saw this projected starting lineup, but after I thought about it, I thought, you know, this actually, I think, does make sense to me from a, who they who project as a starting lineup for Tennessee next year. Yes, Candy Chandler, the point. Powell at the at the two I think or or, or maybe just two or three. Victor Bailey also in there, Josiah Jordan James and John Fulkerson. So you have Kennedy Chandler, Powell, Bailey, uh, Triple J and Fulkerson as your starting five. Obviously, you know, you can start and the bench guy can play more minutes than you. And that you know, we'll be we'll see, you because know, I think obviously the Scobie is gonna vie for a lot of minutes. So yeah, if gonna play uh, you'll be interested to see what other what other guys play where and how often and stuff. But I think that that makes sense to me as a starting five. Again, this is a way too early thing, and I, you know, I don't. We're not going to try to rank Tennessee, rank a bunch of you know the top twenty-five for next season at this point in early May. Um, but I am curious. I, I think this is a. I think having Tennessee at number sixteen in that twenty to fifteen range, I think that's looking at their roster. Looking at obviously, even since this article came out, there's been transfers going to and from other schools. So the, these way too early things, these top twenty-fives are going to be just ever changing up until you know probably. I guess sometime in June or July when, when rosters kind of get finalized and stuff. Um Tennessee still has a couple roster spots available, which you talked about last podcast. Um, I think 16, somewhere around there, like a, a 16, to 18. I th- think that's fair. I, I think that's not a, a bad place for Tennessee. I, I, I would understand also having them more in the 25 to 20 range, um, at least right now, because you, you know, you have some guys returning like Fulkerson and James and Bailey and Viscopi who kind of know what you're going to get from, or, you know, you think you know what you can get from them, and you have some talented newcomers. So I, I but at the same time, you don't, you don't know what you're going to get from those guys necessarily. And they do have several, uh, you know, newcomers to the team that weren't there last year. So I, I think anywhere, anywhere between kind of twenty three and seventeen or so. I understand like sixteen. That's you know, I'm not going to pull hairs and, and say that's overrated. But, but I think anywhere between the 23-17 range, is a about where I'd put them at this point. Again, we'll see if other, guys, other teams add transfers. Right now, Tennessee is smack dab in the middle of, of, of Florida State, at number 17, and Houston, at number 15. Uh, Tennessee is let's see an SEC schools. Arkansas is nine. Alabama is seven in this. So they're number three in the SEC in this way too early top 25. And I don't know if there's another SEC school ranked behind them. Kentucky at 19, which that's interesting. And I think that is it. Yeah, he has Belmont at number 25, which that's pretty cool to see. Um, yeah, but then next in line, he has Syracuse, Auburn, Loyola, Chicago, UConn, and Mississippi State. So he has two other SEC schools kind of next in line that were already unranked, um, but are kind of in that, I guess, top 30 or so range for um, for Jeff Borzello. So I'm, I, I'm curious, Gene. You know, again, this is definitely way too early. Rosters still are not fully formed for most teams at this point. Tennessee again still has a couple spots, so their roster probably isn't um, fully formed for next season either. But I really do. I, I, I think 16's fine. I, I think it's fair. I think, like I said, anywhere between that 23 to 17, 23 to 16 range to me, right now, makes sense. I, I'm not going to have extremely high hopes for this team. I'm not going to expect them to go make a final four run next season. But I think based on what they've done so far this offseason with the roster, I do think they'll be, you know, good. And I think they'll be competing for, you know, a that a double buy again in the SEC tournament. It just kind of depends on what the SEC looks like from the top um, down to the middle because this past year was extremely top-heavy. Uh, what We talked about before Alabama and Arkansas – they were the only two teams who really had confidence in making runs and they really were the only two teams that made runs in the NCAA tournament so if the top of the depth is improved overall for the SEC that you know that can change things but if it's still a very top heavy league then i i I, I don't know I, I think that also obviously changes things for Tennessee. but I think I think that's I think it's a fair ranking for them right now
1: yeah and I, I think um let see I think that when you are talking about what this Tennessee team could be next year, like there are so many variables, like and there's so much that you still have to question, um, and and a, and a lot of it, honestly, is not really anybody's fault. Like you know, they they did not live up to the expectations that were being set forth by so many people this past year. Although beginning of the season, they were probably like 12, 15 in that range. So that's kind of what you really expected at the end of the day. Um, But a lot of that was lack of an off season. So some of the things I think that, you know, cause will cause so many people to pause before they really, rank them properly is you know where are some of these kids that are coming back where is their development you know because we don't know where so many people were. like John Fulkerson admitted that he dealt with COVID last year um you've got a kid like you've got some kids like Kamwa who didn't really develop with the off season um Josiah didn't necessarily take a great leap. Victor Bailey kind of was up and down. I mean, Vescovi was playing out of position. You're looking at pieces that did not, you know, get developed in a way that, in a program that prides itself and really plays a development card. um, They did not get that time. So now when you throw in all these new pieces and Powell and Chandler and Adu and Huntley Hatfield and uh, the Mayshack kid, When you're, when you talk about these five pieces that you brought in, then now all of a sudden it's, well, um, I know for me, the question is how do the piece, like, how do the pieces fit? It seems as though they, they, it seems as though they mesh. It seems as though everything's going to be fine because in, you know, in Mayshack, you've got a kid who seems more of a two way type player. Um. In Chandler, you got the person who's going to kind of just take over the controls of the office and you know, on day one. But you also now have a kid, Powell, who can play off the ball or with the ball now, so you kind of have a two-point guard look, which can now become three-point guards if you've got Josiah out there or Vescovi or whatever the case may be. I don't, I don't really trust, personally, me, I don't really trust like a Vescovi or a Bailey to be a primary ball handler, which sounds weird because I understand Best assisted turnover numbers, but um, I'd still, for my personal liking, was my news a little bit more explosive in there at that point guard position, um, or at least taller than most people. Is is the case of a Powell who plays a six five six six. Um, so when you look at when you look at these rankings, and you start talking about the teams that they're around, uh, like again, like I, I think it's fair. I I think it's 100% fair because there's too many questions, in my personal opinion. Like I think so many times we just look at who's back, uh, we project forward that they'll be better, and then we see who they've got coming in. Well, well, yeah, easily. Final four. It's it's basketball. Final four. Got a point guard. Final four, baby. Um, So, like, and it doesn't always work that way as again as i said earlier we saw that just a year ago and like from a from a player standpoint I, I think the roster's improved i think they have better players which is you know so important i just have to i mean at the end of the day i think a lot what a lot of people are going to question is how do the pieces fit like a guy like jeff Borzello. Um, he, I mean, he's just basically looking at the pieces that are there. It's the same reason that you know everybody was in that rush to throw Kentucky, you know, top five in the country last year because well, yep. I mean, they got this guy, they got that guy, they got this guy, they got that guy. I'm all about fit personally. Um, do the pieces fit? Do they mesh? You know, I think the people who aren't, you know, privy to basketball just say. Well, yeah, you get this, you get all the great players, and you win championships. Um, Miami Heat didn't win a championship the first year. That's why I think it'll be interesting to see what happens mm-hmm. with the Brooklyn Nets, because you just you can't just throw pieces together like this is uh, what the ESPN like free agency thing or whatever that was that that trade or whatever they used to have on ESPN.com or uh-huh. uh, whatever it was. Like you can't just throw pieces on on, on paper and say it's going to fit. I don't know if they're going to fit. I would like to believe that these pieces of Tennessee fit because that's one of the things you have to deal with in recruiting. Can you find pieces that fit what you're trying to do and can fit with each other? And if you can do both, you got a chance. And so I think going into the season right now, it may adjust and shift. I mean, there's still spots, although, you know, the kid they're talking about bringing in to reclassify, he ain't making you better. To be honest you know talk, I mean, about, talk about Tomba yeah he ain't making yeah. better
0: no not, not this year I don't think so yeah
1: he's not changing the projections now there's some there's some dynamic transfer out there somewhere that yeah, he may make you better but that's I think that's fair you know if you told me there was anywhere between 15 and 25 I have no issue with that um, because you know I think the knock is going to be I mean can Barnes figure out a way to win with this caliber of talent, and the and managing these sorts of personalities. Because another thing, uh, you you rattled off that starting lineup to me. Let's see how long it lasts. If you got a kid, you know, reclassified to come to your school a year early, and you're playing him 20-25 minutes a game off the bench. That may not that may not mesh so well. Especially for a kid who who expects to be gone in eight months. Like, again, I understand it. it it's, a, it's a good problem to have trying to figure between Josiah James and Brandon Huntley Hatfield. But, look, man, I was covering Tennessee at the time. I remember the excitement around Josiah James. And you can say what you want, but that kid's like, yo, I was a five-star too. You can fall in line, guy. I mean, that's just... <laughs> It'll bring in competition, which means it's going to bring out the best of all the players because now you've got, like, yeah, I mean, Chandler may be the one person who's untouchable there. He just may be. And even then, you mess up. Man, I'll go with Justin Powell, the point guard. I'll put Vescovian, what's-his-face, on the wings. You know, I've got Josiah. I could I could go Vescovian, Josiah on the wings. I could go Huntley Hatfield and John Fulkerson. And you can figure this thing out from the bench, kid. I mean, you can do that stuff. Like, and, and, and watching how Rick coaches, sometimes I wouldn't put it past him to do something like that. If some of these kids kind of come in with, with ego and and stuff like that, like his his legacy in Knoxville was based off of two years where they had self where they had selfless kids who all came in together, who all grew together. You know who had? I mean, they had no egos. I mean, your best player was a nerd. Your, I mean, your, your, you know, your most well-known player was uh, obviously very, you know, very loud, very boisterous, but he was an amazing kid, in Admiral Schofield.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like these personalities have changed since the moment that that Purdue game ended two years ago. Because you're now recruiting at a higher level now, different type of kid, and now you have to adjust because these kids ain't adjusting. Because they're like, oh, okay. I mean, because you've got, you basically have nine months to figure this thing out with these kids. And if they have, and they can go pro they can hit the transfer portal. I mean, they got options now. Like, you don't just wield that power anymore. So, I would just be intrigued to see. I'll be intrigued in the, the day, just seeing how all that stuff plays out. Because, uh, look, man, I, I get it. I get it. You've got talent now, at multiple positions. How can you wield it together for the betterment of the team to make them the best version possible?
0: Yeah, that, that those are really good points, and I think you're right about the the way the program has changed with the guys you're going after and stuff after that, you know, that season ended with the Purdue loss and, and the way that the, the culture, and uh, it's so the culture's changed, but the, the program itself has changed with who you're going after and everything. There was something you said there, Gene, that I'm, I'm glad you brought up Jabai uh, Beshak, because it reminded me of something I, I did want to talk about and had completely forgotten about. Um, in the Players' Tribune, which if you guys don't know what the Players' Tribune is, it was a media company that was founded by Derek Jeter that isn't written by, it doesn't have articles and stuff written by or typically, doesn't have guys you know written by like sports columnists or sports reporters and media members. It's articles and stuff that are, they're guided by other writers and stuff. I think too, obviously, but mostly you know the voices of players. And there's a really cool piece on there that's called "These Guys Got Next," an extra rare preview of the 2021 class. That's written by Tennessee five-star signee Kenny Chandler. Um, so he he went through and was talking about. Uh, some nine guys to watch out for in the class of 2021. Looking at some of the top-rated players in the class, like Jaden Hardy, uh, Kendall Brown, Banchero, Chet Holmgren, and, and you know, list goes on and on there. But he also was asked, or he also dished on, obviously, uh, one of his soon-to-be teammates at Tennessee, and that's Jemai Meshack. And I thought his words, obviously, is a coaches and and teammates are going to you know most of the time he praise on their their teammates slash their players they coach because. You know, it'd be really weird if they didn't, to be honest. I mean, it'd be really weird if you just interviewed a high school coach and the guy's like, eh, yeah, he's he's not very good. Tennessee or whoever the, the school is going to is not getting a great player. So, you know, take some things with a grain of salt here. But Kennedy Chandler, I thought that's some very interesting things to say about uh, Meshack. And you and I have, have, have kind of talked about it a little bit before on the podcast, Gene, where we've, you know, all these guys like Chandler, Chandler, Huntley Hatfield, to do get them, you know, most of the attention – in this class for Tennessee Meshack doesn't get as much it's because for one he doesn't I don't think has a boisterous attitude he, he doesn't have like a, a Levante Turner or an Aramont Scofield type attitude and he's known more as a kind of a defensive minded guy and those guys don't get you know as much attention as you know the five star point guard or a, a you know a, a forward like Company Hatfield who's capable of going and putting up 15-20 points a game or, or whatever but Meshack uh, you know, a talented four-star guy as a top 100 prospect. I think for most of this cycle, if he isn't still. But Kenny Chandler had some interesting things to say about him. He, he compared him, first of all, uh, to Marcus Smart of you know who played Oklahoma State, and now plays for the Celtics, so was drafted by the Celtics, and is you know has grown every year he's been in the NBA. It was obviously a very good player for Oklahoma State. Um, his his actual quotes here about Shack is, "Remember when I said there'd be people on this list who haven't gotten as many looks in the media." will still go on to have great careers. Jemai is a perfect example of that. He'll be with me at Tennessee, and once he gets there and starts killing it, I think he'll start getting the recognition he deserves. He's going to show what he can do, the way he defends, and how aggressively he plays. If you watch his highlights, you can see that he always matches up with the best player on every team, and he's an amazing defender. When I watch him, I'm looking at how efficiently he uses his body. He's He's got great body control, and he's strong as hell. He's not a weak guy. He plays hard on every possession, never taking plays off, and he's got a good defensive game that usually gets him going on the offensive end. He'll make any team better, and I can't wait to team up with him at Tennessee and let everybody know what he can do. And I think that's where the comparison to me to Marcus Smart would make sense because Smart is known, really, I mean, he's gotten better at at kind of assisting Got me as a Celtics fan, you know, has watched him grow and was frustrated kind of early on in his Celtics career with his inability to hit threes and kind of his offensive game, you know, still needing development but even with all that in, in his early Celtics career and, and still to this point his defense has been what has carried him and, and it's still I would say the best part of his game is his defense and he is a very good defender very good perimeter defender um, these guys are actually built pretty similarly looking at I was looking at what Marcus Smart was listed at at Oklahoma State he's about I think 6'4", 200 something like that and I think Meshack right now is listed or, or, or 210 somewhere in there but I think Meshack now is listed at 6'4", 190 so you know fairly similar builds Difference is Mayshak doesn't play point where Marcus Smart did play more point in uh, in high school and then once you got to Oklahoma State he's, he's obviously plays at some still at, at for the Celtics but that's mostly Kimba Walker um, plays mostly the point there but still uh, I think it's interesting comparison I think it's it's interesting to hear more about Mayshak because gee, we haven't you know we haven't talked about him a ton we've talked a lot more about Kennedy Chandler and Huntley Hatfield and Adu because obviously Hunt, uh, Huntley Hatfield and do were guys who just recently got added. And Kenny Chandler is, you know, one of the highest-rated prospects Tennessee's ever signed. Um, but I think it's an interesting perspective. Again, you know, I take it with a grain of salt because it's from a guy who's going to be his future teammate and a guy who's, you know, going to pump him up a little bit. But I've always liked, I've always liked May Shaq. I, he's a guy who I got to interview uh, when he committed to Tennessee – Way back when he did, I've I've talked to his I think his uncle I think maybe who is I've I've communicated with on social media, so like I know the family a little bit over there um, in California. Seems like a really good family. Seems like a really great kid they're getting. I think it's just an interesting perspective to see. I I've known I've known about him having really good defense, you know, for a while now. But I'll be very interested to see w- how his offensive game develops and what he can bring to the table because it looks like from different highlights and stuff I've seen from him this past year it seems like he's developing all right on the offensive end. I'm, I'll just be, I'll be very curious to see, you know, how that translates into college. Cause I'm not expecting him to come in and make a, a huge contribution as a true freshman. I don't think Tennessee needs him to, but can he come in and, and you know, make some good, can, can he be a Devonte Gaines, but better? Can he come in and be an energy guy and play good defense on someone, but you know be a little better offensively than what Devonte Gaines brings you. If he can be a, a, a you know, a much a, a more improved version of what Devonte Gaines was for Tennessee. That I think he'll be, you know, he'll be a, a really good fit as a freshman uh, on this roster this year.
1: Yeah, and heck, well, the problem, and the problem with like that is, like, in my opinion, is when you, it's, it's the trick of falling into the rankings game. Yep. Is is it, uh, Gaines was not. Is high, you know. Meshack is higher ranked than Gaines was, mm-hmm. but I mean, Meshack's a four-star player, right? And that, and that, what he was, or something like that.
0: Yeah, I'll look at his that's, exact ranking, but he's a—he's definitely a four-star.
1: That's a really good player. Like you, I would expect what just as high. I mean, I don't know who was r- higher between he and the Adu kid. Uh, right uh, now, it's
0: him for sure. He's ranked on two four seven. The composite is fifty eight overall, and then re- the regular two four seven is number forty six overall.
1: Yes, yeah, so like that's, I mean, I, I get it. It's not, um, you know, it's not Chandler. It's not Huntley Hatfield. But a, a four star prospect. Look, I, I've made arguments sometimes that a four star prospect could actually be a better basketball player. Yeah, you have star. Because a lot of times, you know, these rankings are based off just, you know, athleticism, and then you get, you know, you bring kids in, and it's like, well, they'll just, the coaches will figure out how to play, uh, how to make them better basketball players. And then when they leave eight months later, it's like, well, you didn't make the kid a better basketball player. Then four years later, you see these these kids, like, averaging 26 in the NBA or something like that. Um, But... Like, a four-star is... He may just be missing one thing. But he's just as good. Now, I don't think that argument applies as much to guards. Because I think that this applies far more to big men. Because they are projects. And you bring in a guy who's 6'9", 240, who has, like, a 42-inch vertical. Um, I think the I think the kid from Memphis was kind of that where he wasn't really developed off as a developed offensive player, he just goes out there and blocks a bunch of shots, and all of a sudden he thinks he's more of a player. And you know? so here he is transferring that. Um, but like I'm looking at this Meshack kid, and I get it. He's not being talked about, but that's on us. That's on all of us because we're we're. I mean, he's not is is he the best prospect in Tennessee's class? No, but again like he's a four-star basketball player people who do this for a living think that like there's only what like you said like 55 or 60 players better than him in the country
0: yeah yep he's ranked. Like he's I mean I guess by the composite I do is technically higher but he's under Greg to 7 he is rated higher as a top 50 overall prospect
1: yeah so uh, I'm sitting here looking he's number 10 in California The number yeah, yeah. the number four I'm sorry the number four player in California and so, like, I'm just looking at a kid here who... I'm like, let, let's slow down, man. Like, let let us... Let's slow down and just let's all be wise here. The kid is 6'5". I just saw a little video of him. The kid is, like, really physically developed. Yes, he is. And I mean, like, we're not talking about a 6'1", 6'2", kid. I mean, we're not talking about a... An, I mean... Devontae Gaines came to Tennessee physically underdeveloped. He was, he was, like, like, six, he
0: was six, like, what, 160, six, five, 170?
1: Yeah, I think he was like 6'7", like 170 when he got there. Like, that's what you're talking about. And you're comparing him to a, uh, to a guy who is listed at 6'5", 190, and that's on a 24-7 page that I guarantee has not been updated in a while. If you told me the kid's six five, 200, I'd buy that. So... I don't know what his role is on the team. Um, I don't know any of that stuff. I know he was the first commitment of that class. Mm -hmm. And I know that he's the type of guy that you can, if you can now build around him for the next two, three years or so, because, like, yeah, the rest of it's going to be a revolving door. It is. I mean, it's called what it is. I mean Tennessee could be in a rough spot next year where they're having to do a lot of stuff in the portal. Because what's to say Powell doesn't have a good year in leave? You expect Chandler to leave. Um kind of expect Huntley Hatfield to leave. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's three. Fulkerson's gone. It's four. You know, I think I think you have I think you've got Josiah Jordan James. I mean he's what a sophomore again this year. You've got Vescovi. I'm so, yeah. he'd be a junior next year. Vescovi will be a junior next year. This kid will be a sophomore. Like, but once you get past those guys, what well, you got? Roche So like that's the type of kid who can come in, could be maybe your most productive, because a lot of times your most productive freshman is not even it's not the highest rank. Because some kids can't handle that pressure. And so you'll see another person that comes in, and you know they've been—they feel like they've been overlooked—and they go out there and prove it night after night after night. And you're talking about a kid who has completely been almost forgotten out of this recruiting stuff, because especially because of the past month of Tennessee recruiting, from focusing coming back uh, to Huntley Hatfield to Adu, you know all these different things that have happened. Yeah. Oh yeah, the Powell. Yeah, it, it's at least really. And so, like, look, it's not, and it's not about, and it's not even a negative thing. It's not even like hating on his his teammates, but it's just going back to his room. It's just sitting there, it's turning on TV, and everybody's talking about, man, you just you just read to me the, the Tennessee way too you know, way too early top twenty five. I don't I don't remember Mayshack's name being mentioned. So again, here he is, the forgotten one. That's the type of kid who goes out there and kills the next year.
0: Would it and be that, fair um, to say that maybe maybe he's the X factor for the team? Because I don't I don't I don't think so. Yeah. No. no I, I think, he's I, he's maybe I think, maybe one of the more intriguing guys now that I mean, you've <laughs> you've got me. I, I was already liking Meshack but kind of downplaying what I thought he'd do because I I just looked at Tennessee's roster and wasn't entirely sure where he'd fit in. But man, I I I don't know. You, you got me you know, excited for you him know all over again. In, trouble,
1: in my opinion, you know position position's in trouble right now?
0: Who's?
1: Uh, Victor Bailey. Because it would either be Bailey or Vescovi, but I would lean a little more towards Bailey. Because if you're going to give me a, four, a, a more um, a, a younger player athletically who appears to be more athletic... You can play Vescovi and I'm sorry. You can play Kennedy uh, Chandler and Powell, and you've got a shooter out there. And now you have a kid who is being called one of the best defenders in the, uh, in this class. He can be a lockdown defender for you. He can go guard another team's best. I mean, guard their point guard because I mean, again, he's physically developed. He's six five, so mm-hmm. I could see. A scenario where by SEC play, he's like carved out a role as like a defensive stopper. You know, I mean, a little bit in the mold of a Devontae Gaines, except maybe you can get a little bit more out of him offensively because again, he's a better offensive player than Gaines was coming to Tennessee in the first place. And it's okay to admit it. It's it, it's okay to say we just don't we don't know how good these kids are. We just let recruiting rankings tell us. And it's okay to admit that. Like there's a lot of stuff going on, man. We're I mean, it's twenty-four seven. The thing you've got a lot of stuff going on. I've got a lot of stuff going on. It's fair for us to just simply say, you know what, I just haven't had time to really dig into that kid's game. Mm-hmm. I know he wasn't a five star, and I know he wasn't a transfer, and I know he's not John Fulkerson. So therefore, I don't know. Maybe he can be. <laughs> Maybe he can be Devontae Gaines. You know, like that that's it it, and that's the stuff that I mean, I think sometimes we all have to get better about because we we lean so heavily on the big names that it's never the big names that win you a championship. And I'm always going to lean towards a championship. I don't care what your past is, Tennessee fans. I'm speaking as though you're gonna win a championship every single year. Like the expectation is the mentality is that you're gonna win a championship. Like, that's how I'm going to look at it. That's the prism I'm looking for. I know your history. I grew up in this area. I didn't grow up a Tennessee fan, but I grew up in this area. I know all too well the history of Tennessee basketball. You know, watching John Fulkerson throw uh, Allen Houston back in, back in the day. I know those days. I saw them all. I get it but I'm going to look at everything from the prism of can this team compete for a national championship because you all told me when I was covering Tennessee and since then that you have a national championship team so I'm going to hold you to that standard you've got to have you've got to have the pieces to win a chip and it's never it's never the star i mean Baylor had just ridiculous amount of talent this past year, uh, two years ago, I remember who won the who won the championship two years ago. Was that?
0: Well, technically uh, two years ago, they didn't have a no, I mean twenty oh, no. I mean, oh. nineteen. Uh, oh, that, that was uh, that was uh, Virginia.
1: So yeah, like, Kyle Dow was good. DeAndre Hunter was good. You know, like when you look at the best teams in the country, it's never just the names that you just know. People forget that Duke team that won a championship that was, you know, technically led by Jalil Okafor mm-hmm. and Winslow, And they're like, man, that's the one-and-done model. They forget that Quinn Cook was a junior on that team who was a second-team All-American. But technically, that's a role player because you're not even talking about him. Darius Miller for Kentucky in, in 2011. Every team that wins championships, Dante DiVincenzo was most outstanding player for Villanova one year, coming off the bench in the Final Four. You know, so you know, Chris Jenkins was a nice player. I mean, his professional career didn't go very far. Like, you've got to have the Mashaks of the world. And say we have to do a better job. And this starts at every single level of uh, being opinionated in this industry. Like, we have to do a better job of, you know, at least tipping a cap to some of these other pieces because those are the mm-hmm. pieces that when you look back and you've won a championship. We're so vital to that success. And Meshack, to me, will be one of those pieces. And I would not be stunned if he's competing for. Um if he's the person who's out there competing for a starting spot or at least a heavy rotation spot by January. Because he is a really again, according to the according to analysts, he's a really good basketball player.
0: I've been searching like up and down to try to find his um like points and stuff <laughs> for, for for what, they, what his, his stats and stuff for this past year, but I, I just cannot find it for uh, Edewanda where he played um, his ball or his his senior year this past year and went Rancho Cucamongo in California. But I I mean, you made some really good points. Like you said, the the, the top guys get all the attention, and as you said, I mean, you said it before in the podcast. You know, sometimes the four star players are better basketball players than the five stars, because all the five stars are athletes who, you know, you think can be really good basketball, end up being you know, good basketball players who use athleticism. That's, you know, you look at Keon Johnson, for example, he was more athletic than he was, I mean, he was a gifted basketball player, don't get me wrong. He was definitely a gifted defender. He was Tennessee's, probably Tennessee's best defender this past year, and one of the best defensive players in the SEC, and he was a true freshman. That's something that's only going to keep getting better as it gets older. But I think even as a, as a offensive player from a skill set perspective I think Jaden Springer is better um, and I guess Springer is rated higher than Keon but Keon has a you know, higher projected NBA draft pick than what Springer is but yeah I, I think your point is pretty valid I think a lot of times the four, these four star players these guys in the you know in between the top 100 top 50 range somewhere in that you know <laughs> 50 100 range can end up being some really 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 good players I'll have to go back and look at some other like, other guys other schools and see you know to kind of cite some examples. But even just looking at, like, let me look at some Tennessee's top recruits and commits and stuff. I mean, you look at guys in that kind of Jame- Shack range for Tennessee over the last few years. I mean, Wayne Chisholm wasn't a, a five star. And Wayne Chisholm was, you know, he's considered one of Tennessee's best players in the last, you know, 15, 20 years. Then um, I mean, Jarno, Jarno Stokes, I guess, was a five star. I don't want, it, don't want to count him. But just look at some well, other four stars Tennessee it, had. And they're, they're, they've had some really good ones over the years.
1: Yeah. Well, and real quick, like, the, the question is, when you're when you're coming in as a freshman, what is your – the question I, I, that I would always ask when I'm watching um, – when I'm trying to figure out, like, you know, how good some of these players are and why, why I say that sometimes four stars are better than five is, the number one question you have to ask is, what is your immediate translatable quality to a college basketball team? And if you're a five-star post player – it's probably just some sort of thing that can't be developed in an off season so therefore it's hard for you to play up to this standard because your translatable quality is is something that hasn't i mean it is probably just your athleticism so you'll show some good moments but you may not be able to finish a layup or something like that you you may not be able to execute a hook shot because you've never been developed to Work on that shot. Zion Williamson's game will all will translate everywhere because his thing has just been sheer brute force. Yep. Like so, it's very easy for him to play because who he is hasn't changed. he's still the he still been allowed to be the exact same player he's always been. Whereas like some of these other guys, like Kenny Chandler, will have some ups and downs, but he'll mostly be fine because what is he going to be asked to do differently than he normally does? He's always been a point guard. He'll remain a point guard. Um, I think the Duke kid will have some struggles. Yeah. I think Huntley Hatfield would have some some struggles because he's not he's you know for at least two years now he's been a guy. You know he's been the guy, and now he's just going to be yeah just be a part of something great. Josiah Jordan James' most translatable quality was his unselfishness. That doesn't bode well when they need you to be far more than that. And so that's why like, it's so hard to really figure out what some of these five-star guys are when they first come in because in some cases, not every aspect of their game has been developed. Five-star now does not mean what it meant 20 years ago. They even had those things. I mean, technically, Charles Hathaway was a five star. Technically, I think he was like a top five player in the country. I could be wrong there. If I am, I am. <laughs> um, but I don't think I am there. Like, and that's a guy who, according to most people, did not live up to the expectations that were set forth because he was a top five, top ten prospect in the country. I know he was a first team all American, and I just kind of just translate that translate that to being a top ranked player. Uh, no, to be, yeah, to be a five-star player, like it's so. Some of those things are so hard. It's it's all, it's all a crapshoot, and it's all used to gain excitement, you know, to garner excitement and fan bases. And I get that, um, but I'll be intrigued to see just how these new pieces fit in because it's my. I'm of the opinion that. Kenny Chandler will be a good basketball player next year because the ball is going to be in his hands. Um, we'll see about Hatfield, Huntley Hatfield. We'll see. Uh, because hes I think he's done a lot with the ball in his hands before, too, for mm-hmm. the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, do, yeah, we'll see. I mean, he's going to be told, hey, you know what? I, we love that tape, but welcome to the post. We, love that. we loved all these videos of you shooting threes. Let's develop that back to the basket game. You know, again, Mayshack it's going to be, hey, man, go out there and play. This is who you are. You're athletic. You know, you're, you're obviously hungry. I mean, heck, and when, when, when somebody posts a 15-minute workout video go on YouTube, God. I mean, that's somebody who's hungry. Mm-hmm. i mean heck, it's, you know it's capped off there's i mean there's guest highlights in this thing i just kind of just click back and forth uh who was this here i just saw him uh forgot his name but i mean when you got these sorts of guys popping in like that's look that's somebody who is hungry and that's somebody who in it like with all due respect kind of feels like he's forgotten he didn't have to say it And it doesn't have to mean anything towards, like, he harbors some sort of ill will towards his guys, his future teammates. He doesn't at all. He understands the game. But he also understands, I don't want them to forget my teammates. I want them to remember me. You know, and so that's why I'll be, I mean, so I'm going to be intrigued to see what happens with Shaq. I I am. But these other guys, you just don't know. If you don't have the translatable qualities – And I I like to speak a lot on that. Like, if you don't have immediate translatable qualities, it's going to be a struggle because like the time for you to be developed is in the off season, once you've had a chance to see what's worked and what's not. Not going to, no, it's going to be hard to convince some of these kids going in that they need work on something. It's going to be difficult because they've never been told. You don't have, you know, Kenny Chandler playing high school kids, it's not going to be the same as playing some of these grown adults. Mm-hmm. I've seen what LSU's program looks like—some grown men. I know Tennessee's kind of looks like that too, but LSU's got some grown men out there. I still think Shaq's got some eligibility. It's a lot different, man. It's a lot different. So I'm on, I'm I'm push. I'm going to push May Shaq. I'm going to continue to push him. Uh, and look, maybe I'm wrong but that kid is going to fight for every opportunity he can to get on the court because it's not given, it's not going to be guaranteed to him. Like maybe it's going to be for some of these other kids.
0: Yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a big Meshack fan. Uh, I, I, like I said, just kind of dropped off a little bit because of all the other stuff going on with, with DT basketball. But I, I'm very excited to watch him play and see what he can do. But I think that'll be where we end the podcast that end up going longer. I thought, but I, I wanted to bring up that player streaming thing. So I'm glad you brought up Meshack because I wanted to talk about that. Um, End up having kind of three main topics to talk about in this episode. But, again, we are available on new platforms on Stitcher and Podcast Addicts. So, if you're coming from there, thank you for listening to us and finding us on there. And, and, you know, share this with your friends, family members, whoever that are Tennessee fans, SEC basketball fans, or just college basketball fans at large. We'll also talk some Lady balls and stuff in future episodes as well. We talked about them uh, last podcast with Kelly Harper and hiring new assistant coaches as well. So, give that a listen. Go listen to some of our older episodes as well if you'd like to. And again, be on the lookout for new episodes every week during the off season, Once the season starts again, at, at several months, we'll probably do it in two a week, and we'll, we'll see how that goes. But um, don't want to get too too ahead of ourselves here. But I'm very excited for things that you know coming down the wire for Vol Basketball Fever and very, very thankful for all of you who followed along, who subscribed, who shared this already. Uh, you guys are fantastic and have helped us um, grow uh, and, and more than I thought we'd grow here after rebranding uh, about a month and a half ago or so. So we, uh, we're very, very appreciative here at Vol Basketball Fever. Signing off for Gene, I'm Nathaniel. This has been another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast.